we got the we got the background noise. We're in person right now. Yeah, it's so different. We don't ever do the pod in person. I'm actually having like a really hard time. I don't know. It's, I can't even make eye contact with people. Is that weird? Yeah, but that just says more about you than it does about them. Also, like you don't want to just make vicious eye contact the whole time. I just like, don't, hey, I, to talk. I just don't do it in like at work now at all because I feel like we're not in person anymore. So I'm used to seeing someone on a screen. So now mm. I have to make eye contact. I feel so uncomfortable. I'm like, oh my god, this is this is so intense. I was kind of talking to, and we were speaking about this before we hopped on the episode. Like we're burnt out, yeah. and I think a lot of it is just like the world in America at least is opening back up. So we're now having to see people face to face and traveling. And you've been on, you know, you went on vacation. Yeah, I've seen you know a lot of folks talking about burnout and talking about feeling. Like they don't understand what to post anymore and they don't feel, and, and you made a really great comment of like, we're all kind of like getting older, more responsibility is like less bright eyed and bushy tailed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are you feeling that? I mean, I feel like, okay, so I, oh my God, I'm 28 now. So I think when I started being a diabetic advocate, I was like a CIT at a camp. I was like 17. Like, this is so cool. I'm so, I'm so cool. Cause I do this. Right. And now mm-hmm. it's just like this additional task i think you start doing advocacy yes for other people but also to like add to your resume to like build yourself as a person and as we're getting older and we're finding our careers it's just like okay like where is this going what where am i going and as as the internet kind of molds and changes we're trying to figure that out too like instagram straight up saying like hey don't post your pictures no more because we don't care about them like bro we want you to make videos right so it's just like oh i thought i was doing advocacy this way with my photos now i have to change because of some algorithm so it's like annoying yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. I mean, times, they are changing, uh, yeah. you know, it's just how that works. But I, yeah, I think like, you know, advocacy, advocacy journeys are different for everyone. And I think everybody has a different phase. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, when you start out, you're super excited. You, same thing with the online community. You meet other people who are like you and you mm-hmm. like feel welcomed by the community. And, you know, even like seeing some people do that for the first time this week, you know, now I feel like the people who were around when I did that and they're like, oh, well, just wait. Like, you know, you're going to you don't even know what can of worms you're opening. At the same time, I still encourage people to do that. It's super important. Uh, but you got to, you know, pace yourself sometimes. And I think, you know, seeing some, you know, we talked to we talked to, uh, to Syra yeah. today, Syra Gayo, uh, the amazing story of her life. And you're going to hear some really just like heartwarming mother daughter stories as well as like you know diabetes couples meeting in the wild like insulin pumps being the first like you know intro to somebody that you're gonna spend the rest of your life with and like those things i think are really heartwarming and i'm glad that we have those stories to share because otherwise it is really bleak sometimes especially when diabetes like you went on vacation and had uh, a pretty serious diabetes hiccup oh my god okay so last week we talked about the occluded sites and i was like yeah i'm totally gonna take care of this blah 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 and then of course i still went on vacation i was like i'll deal with it when i get back like it's fine. And then while I was on vacation, I had like four or five occluded sites while I was on the hike. So I, you were only gone for like less than a week. I was gone for five days. Um, so for you guys, I went to Arizona, I went to page Arizona to check out Lake Powell. It was absolutely beautiful. Also kind of sad just to see the water level so down, but climate change, whatever. Um, and then I got to go to Horseshoe Bend, but I had occluded pump sites the whole time. It makes it really hard to enjoy it when your blood sugar is not doing so awesome. Like your blood sugar is kind of high. I don't know about you. I'm kind of a jerk when my blood sugar is not the best like for sure i suck um and on top of it i thought texas was hot rob bro arizona is like it's the desert it's hell man it is 119 degrees in this hell like at least it's dry bro it was and my blood sugar was high so anyway long story short guys is at a bunch of occluded pump sites i finally got a good one um when i finally got a good site i had already reached out to a bunch of people i'm so grateful for the community um Shout out Kiyomi Knight, uh, Arbor Teranda is her username on Instagram. She's a really good friend of mine, and she hooked, she was going to hook me up with syringes if I needed them. Like, it got that serious on vacation. Um, it's just frustrating, I think, to have diabetes stuff come up, but it's part of life. It's it's just something Cyrus said last night really, like, stuck with me. Uh, she said sometimes just in the background, and so I was really thinking about that because I was mm. trying to take stock of my trip and, like, the whole point of it was to just go and be mesmerized by, like, the beauty of the earth, right? Like, just get outside. And in the long, like long scheme of things, like my diabetes made up a fingernail of like the trip. Like it was just in the background. It was just some one annoying thing to deal with because otherwise it was such an amazing time. So I think maybe if you guys are feeling burnt out, I definitely was like, Rob knows, <laughs> go somewhere, go look at mm-hmm. something beautiful, go take stock of your life. Because I mean, I don't know, it's, it's easy to feel really burnt out. 
It is. And like, I think we're all so used to over the past year, year and a half now. Wow. Oh my God. Just being on our phones all the time and like always having access to this information. And I was, I was reading some stuff yesterday on Twitter. I mean, just some terrible shit, man. Like, and I'm, and I'm questioning why do I have access to this? Like this is becoming a burden to me. And, and even if this was my sole passion, I couldn't, this particular instance, it's like, there's nothing I could do about it. Even if I dedicated a hundred percent of my time and, you know, I had some low moments, not blood sugar related necessarily this week, but just low moments of like, even if I wanted and dedicated my entire energy and being to solving this particular problem, like it would not change. And that is really frustrating. And it's like, Absolutely. you know, I just wish I wasn't cursed with this information at the same time. I'm glad that I can have some sort of awareness about it. Um, but man, I don't know. It's it's a we're living in interesting times, and I think everybody's tired. I think diabetes always in the background, and sometimes like really forces its way into the foreground. I didn't tell anybody this, uh, but you talking about your vacation made me remember. Like we, Erica and I went for her birthday to Mexico, and the first day, I had an, I got an included site, and I wasn't sure if it was you know you, those ones that are like yeah. kind of kinked or whatever, or maybe you're just insulin sensitive, and I had tested and. Then I, you know, had some Afreza, so I used that because I just keep that for backups in case I go really high, you know, or something and or something bad happens. And so I was keeping that in line and then like it just wouldn't come down. It was like 400 and just like flat line, like wouldn't come down, wouldn't come down. So I finally changed the site. I got things rolling. I was like, man, this like ruined my whole, I only had five days there, ruined like basically a whole day. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, it was the first day of the vacation. I was like, I'm not going to let this ruin the trip. And I didn't think about it. You know, fortunately, diabetes is in the background the rest of the time, mm -hmm. but you know, you got to, it's one of those things like I think people with diabetes are better at it than others because they know that they feel that chronic weight. And it's like, well, either I can focus on all this bad stuff or I can just kind of block it out and, and still do my thing. And I don't know. I think, I think that's just a hard thing for anyone to understand. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that diabetes is not important or that it's not difficult, but I just refuse to make it my whole life. I can't, it, I'm just not. Do you ever have chronic guilt? Like, do you ever like feel guilty for being sick? Like, okay, so there was this one point in the trip where we're, we're literally walking up to Horseshoe Bend and my blood sugar is 105. And I was like, there's no way I can walk for 15 minutes and I'm not going to be low. Look at my bag, no juice box. Way to go, Eritrea. So now I got to tell these two healthy people that we got to turn around and go get a juice box. And I just feel so guilty when stuff like that happens because I'm just like, you stupid sick girl like why don't you plan better stuff like that so, i had to do that once in uh in la I w and we were in an uber and i was going out to dinner with my friends and we had gone like five minutes and i was like man we got to turn around because i just don't have i think it was my it might have been my insulin or something it was like i got a low reservoir yeah. it was like too low and i had to go back and i was like okay i have the stuff in my bag here but we got to go back and it was just like a 30 minute detour Delay. and i felt guilty about it yeah but i was with like really good friends that didn't care um uh, maybe we even walked i don't know it was something just but you dumb. still feel bad i was oh, with my was husband bad. and his best friend i still felt awful like i was yeah. like i'm sorry i'm so sorry i'm like the whole time so i think sometimes as sick people we feel guilty for being sick i don't know i mean sometimes i feel guilty for being able-bodied really you know I mean? like i you know diabetes really ain't shit to me like oh okay big dog i'm sorry my bad yeah i know i mean like <laughs> uh, and you know uh, certainly i have my bad days and i have like my mood swings with low blood sugars and high blood sugars and such. And I, if I had to give it back, I absolutely would return but, to sender. Yeah. Return. Like, please give me my money back. Uh, but I, I'm, you know, I tow that line between being very grateful that I res that this disease resonates with the way my brain works and it's just outputs and inputs. And that's just how I view it. And, you know, when I was younger, I used to be like, well, you know, if I had to get some chronic illness, like at least it's something I can deal with, you know? And, yeah. You know, there are a lot of people with diabetes that also get other chronic illnesses uh, yeah. that stack up, you know what I mean? wild. Because your body's messed up. Yeah. And, you know, truthfully, I'm not able-bodied 100%. Just like you said, I got to, I can't, <laughs> there's times I just like can't go do something. I remember the first time I had to leave like a party that I really wanted to be at early because I didn't have any insulin left in my pump. Bro. And I was like, bro, there's no way I can stay here. I got to be out. Dude. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you guys the story. Okay. So this, not this time, this is the last story we'll tell. I promise you guys are probably sick of us right now. Actually, I think people like this. this <laughs> these so this so. last time I went to San Luis, I went to Mexico to visit my family last November. It was when I was eating all the tacos and I was posting about it. Mm -hmm. 
I we went to this ranch where I have a cousin who lives there. He has a lot of horses, and we literally my parent my family was like having an entire tequila showdown, like loteria, tequila, all of it. And I'm sitting there with five units in my pump, and I'm like, dog, we are an hour away from my grandma's where all my stuff is. What do I do? And so I look at my mom, and I'm like, mom, what do I like? We got to go back now. And she just looks at me. She's like. Drink tequila, you'll be fine. Dead ass. I had to ask one of my cousins to take me back. But it's just, you you miss those, mo- like, diabetes sometimes makes you miss family moments. And I'm just kind of like, crap. Like, yeah. this sucks. So, yeah, no, I, I've been there with you. M- low insulin in the reservoir. I feel quite hopeless. And just yeah. like, I remember being, and I, and I think for one of them, mine specifically, I think I might have ripped a site out. Like, it got, it just, it, you know, got caught on a door jam or whatever, and the site came out. And I just remember being like, it was my improv level five graduation, which like, you know, like the whole class I've been through with a year, we had gone through all the five oh levels and we were at my friend Javier's house and it was going to be a party and I had to leave. <laughs> and that was the end. It, it was one of those things where, um, got in the way. It just got in the way and it ruined that night. I mean, it, it didn't make, I just had that big FOMO, you know? And I think that's where yeah. FOMO from diabetes, like really it cuts deep sometimes, you know? I feel anyway. Sorry to be such a bummer. <laughs> I, just no, like, <laughs> I, I think these are important things to talk about, you know, and I, back to that, like able body guilt, like I can do, you know, I was a big believer in the, like, you can do anything you want. And, and I still, you know, for me, that's what makes me happy doing what I want to do. And that's like, you know, and not letting diabetes or anything else stop me. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a mindset that served me really well. And I think I had to remind myself of like, what's the worst that could happen this week. I watched, uh, I was, you know, I was going, I'm going through hard depression right now. It's just like never midlife really, crisis. You're 49. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm about to buy a convertible. <laughs> a small sports car. Yeah. I'm about to buy a red sports car. You guys are going to see me like, uh, oh my God. yeah, no, you that, that will not happen. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's just something new that I'm dealing with. And so it kind of, I watched this video from Tim Ferriss. He gave this Ted talk like four years ago, talking about depression, talking about, you know, his, he was talking about suicide thoughts that he had had mm-hmm. and, the things that kind of brought him back and centered him. And, you know, it was the thing that I talk about all the time. Like what's the worst that could happen? Like the fear setting exercise. And I just, it was just a good reminder of like, Oh yeah, like I have the tools to deal with these things and I just need to remember that I do. And sometimes the world gets swirling and we get burnt out and diabetes is a part of it. Sometimes just living in society is a part of it sometimes. And I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday as well. Like we're the, we're living in the most unique time as our generation of people. And I mean, you're on the younger end of like the millennial spectrum, but like we grew up without technology and we learned it. And now it's like an insane part of our lives. And our parents didn't have that. They had to like grow all the way up before yep. technology came out. Uh, and our, you know, the next generation Gen Z folks have always had it. So we're kind of like toeing the line and man, you get, I get caught up in the middle of it. I was reading uh, shout out Ray Allen. His son has type one, uh, you know, NBA champion Ray Allen, uh, he was talking about uh, on a podcast that when he is coaching kids and they like take a water break, the kids like go check their phones during the break. And I just was like, man, I sound like an old head by like saying like, I would never let my kids do that. Like on my team. Yeah, you do. Well, there's an emergency. You're not, you're not being very thoughtful about their consent, Rob. Well, I mean, just like you're at basketball practice for two yeah. hours. You know what I mean? I mean, you never know. I don't know. I just think that we're living in a data driven society now. And like, and we talk about this in the episode with Syrah, like it can be extremely burdensome and it almost feels like we're in this competition with the next, like we're always like competing with the younger people with the next generation, what's coming out. And it's like, we're trying to be the smartest, be smarter than them, know everything, figure out how to fix the climate because we've been living in this weirdo American dream that now we know is not real because we have all this Yo, data. The, the ocean caught on fire last week. Y'all Dog, see that? <laughs> I was looking at it like, what is this? The, the white people have opened a layer of hell into like the, well, Aztec culture is what I was don't, thinking. Don't, oh, I mean, like, well, <laughs> okay, all of us. It was, fine. It was because that was a Mexican government pipeline. I know so. it's all of us, man. Like, it's just capitalism but, knows no race. Bro, you know the fact that there's power lines in Oregon that were melting last week, and trees in Canada that were just burning down. Like everything is shit. Everything is shit right now. Like I, and it's because we know too much. Mm. You. We shouldn't know about that. No, at this point we should change it. No, at this ocean. point there are, you know, there are some good things that are coming out of knowing so much information. Like even with climate change, I think, and a lot of people don't like her, so I'm so sorry if you hate her. But Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is trying to start like a program where we literally have old people working to put back in like carbon emissions into the earth because the only way we're gonna save the planet is if we do something about it. Like I don't know what the point of having kids, y'all. This bitch is about to blow up. Like. 
it's hot on here. It's hot. Can't afford insulin. I mean, it just all feels bad. So it's tough, and you know, and I think you can get sucked into the swirl of like negativity. And you know, I try to still, you know, the hardest thing is like also the most simple thing. And that's the hard thing about hard things is waking up every day and being grateful that you get an opportunity to just take a breath, take a step, do a job, you know, and then also just be, you know, have people around you that love you. And I think that I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. And that's another thing that we talk about in this episode with Syrah is just the normalizing a tough thing and, yeah. you know, it ta- and also normalizing that it takes a village and that you do need help and that it is difficult and there's no one way to make everything work. And, yeah, I don't know. This that's that's what diabetics doing things is all about. Is like it's the okay things that, it's hard. that we do, even if it's hard. Yeah, it's okay that it's hard. And also something that I thought was really cool about Cyrus' episode was like, not only is like there's four people there, and there's still so many different types of diabetes management. Mm-hmm. So that just tells you again, there's not just one way to do this. Like there's so many different ways to drive this boat. So you just got to figure out what works for you, what's gonna make you the happiest, what's gonna you know I don't know, figure it out. Yeah, it's all good. Speaking of figuring it out, we are figuring it out uh, <laughs> here at Diabetics Doing Things. We're you know putting together uh, a little bit more of a of a regular cadence. So keeping it you know if Instagram just doesn't decide it's going to change exactly what it's, it's for. It's okay. Maybe we can start a video podcast. I mean, I mean that sounds easy to you. I, I mean, you know, I'm going to be the one to make him do it. Yeah, I'm the one that has to do it, I guess. But you know, I think uh, we've got. Type Zero is, is a sponsor again of this episode and, and they're they're dope and, and, you know, continuing to, you know, power me literally in my workouts and also power in the pod. And, you know, I think one of the things that we collectively are trying to figure out is how to navigate uh, the sort of new, new, new normal where, you know, events are coming back. We got Children with Diabetes, oh, yeah. Friends for Life conference was this week uh, or, or last week at Disney. And there was, you know, kids coming together. And that was really the first, I guess, official kickoff of the diabetes event world coming back uh, after like a virtual ADA and such. So that is going to be interesting. And I think you and I were just talking, we we're talking like outside of the uh, outside of the pod, like, man, it's kind of tiring being out. And it's like, I got really used to being at home all the time and not having to interact with people. And that's just a challenging new adjustment that we've got to make. I'm excited for all the camps to open back up. They were so life changing to me. So like when they were shut down, I was so sad for those kids. I was like, man, this is terrible. This is terrible. We got to change, <laughs> change for the children. Yeah. And yeah, I'm glad I'm excited for camps. We talked a little bit about camps in this episode. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, I think this is just a really good episode about what happens when you all of a sudden diabetes takes over every aspect of your family life uh, for the most part. And like, you still have to be a person and you still have to be a parent and you still have to be a, your own advocate uh, within that. And, you know, I think uh, finding the way that it works for you and your family uh, amid, in the midst of all those things is, is something that I really took away from uh, Cyrus interview. So if you want to know what it's like to have diabetes, be married to someone with diabetes and have two children, both with diabetes and what that's like living in the world, we have an episode for you coming <laughs> right up with Syra Gayo. Welcome back to Diabetics Doing Things. Oh my God, I'm kicking off the show. It's Eritrea, and obviously I'm here with Rob, but we have a very special guest, Miss Syra Gayo, a all-around amazing diabetic and diabetes mom and wife. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And I'm still here. I just, I think it's fun <laughs> to let Eritrea kick it off. We had to have that happen at some point. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have Syrah. She's an amazing person. I uh, had the privilege of getting to know her. And so I wanted to bring her onto the pod and get her to share a little bit about her story and her life and what it's been like to not only be a type one diabetic herself, but to have fallen in love with a type one diabetic and then to have birthed her own type one diabetic. So it's just, I love it. I I want to share it with everybody. (laughs) Syrah, you, I think more than anyone I've ever met, and I have met a lot of people with diabetes at this point you embody a life with diabetes. Like you really are living it. It's, it's ever present in your life. So I'm super excited to hear a little bit about that and also like relate to how much diabetes is too much diabetes sometimes. So definitely excited to, to chat about that as well. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to unpack. Depends on like what angle of diabetes you guys want to talk about. So let's get in on those angles. Let's talk about your personal journey first. Let's like share, you know, your, your life with diabetes thus far, and then we'll, we'll bring in the rest of the supporting diabetes cast as we get to them. Sure. Okay. So I was personally diagnosed. Honestly, I always like stop and have to think about it because it's been so long and I have to ask my parents not that long ago, like, Hey, when was it really? And they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. They're like, we're not really sure. Cause 
nowadays, you know, like diversities are a thing. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what my in is. Um, this just wasn't a thing growing up. We didn't celebrate it, but uh, it's been at least 25 years since I've had type one um, diagnosed when I was in fourth grade. So it's been a while. Um, and a little sort of background. I was born in the States, but my family is originally from Pakistan. So that's where I was when I was diagnosed. Very different experience than the version of getting diagnosed in the States that I've heard from my husband. Well, and let's, let's dig into it. What, uh, how was it different? What do you remember? Um, so what I remember is I was sick for a really long time and the doctor like was all out. Oh, she's just a kid that doesn't want to go to school. Not a big deal. Mom, like just may her go to go to school kind of a thing. Um, until I went into DK and woke up in the hospital and they're like, just kidding. It's not in your head. You actually have type one. And like, I have this very clear memory of my dad, like stabbing an orange with a syringe. And I was like, what is happening? Um, and whenever I smell like alcohol swabs or insulin, like I go back to like flashback to that hospital. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my, my story, but like what also happened is all the kids in my school thought I was contagious. So I switched schools pretty much after fourth grade because it was like, there's literally one friend that I still have who stayed friends with me because her mom was like, oh, hell no, that's not, that's not true. Um, made, she's pretty much still my best friend, uh, made her watch a video about like, this is what diabetes really is. It's not contagious, that kind of thing. So a um, little bit of trauma, I guess, from like the fact that I'm still talking about it, that's still stuck with me. Um, some of that is cultural, you know, like there's in Pakistan, there's like, it's, if there's anything wrong with you, whether it's you know, mental illness or any kind of thing, like you don't talk about it, um, but you can't really not talk about diabetes, especially when you're a fourth grader. It's like, and that was back when 70, 30, I think is what I started on. One of those, one of those variations. So it was like one of those blends. Yeah. You eat at the exact same time every single day, same number of carbs. You want one more cracker tough, like can't have it. This is, this is how much insulin you got in the morning kind of a thing. Um, so I was that kid that had to sit in the back of the class and eat because it wasn't lunchtime, but that was the time that my insulin was working kind of a thing. So um, that's my diagnosis story. And um, my parents have always had a base here in the States. So we would come back to the States every summer and see, you know, see a team of chalk actually out here in Orange County, um, get our meds for the entire year, pretty much like all of our strips and all that kind of stuff. Like we were lucky enough and privileged enough to be able to do that. Um, and yeah, that was kind of my early years of living with diabetes, I guess. Man, I, I'm just, I, I don't know. I just feel honestly like uncomfortable at how those, like the kids at school, like how harsh kids can be. And these are awful. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I, I remember, I, you know, I was really, this may shock listeners, but I was super gangly and awkward when I was in like sixth or seventh grade and even eighth grade, like, cause I was just growing so much. Like every day I woke up a different height than I went to sleep the night before. And I, you could not pay me enough money, all the money in the world to go back to that time and have to live through how awkward I was and how much I got made fun of. And so I just think of like you in that fourth grade classroom and like how quickly rumors spread and how difficult it is for children with diabetes to like, cause when you're young, like those events are so big and traumatic and they seem like they're the end of the world. And, um, I'm glad that you were able to move out of that environment. Obviously, like, I'm sure it was super traumatic for you and your parents. Yeah. I don't know if kids are innately awful. It comes down to parents as well. Like the parents like are the ones that told them that, right? And like the one girl who wasn't awful, her mm. mom's the one that was like, no, no, that's not true. And like teachers need some responsibility too, right? Like it, so like in the, in the off, on the other side, um, my husband was about the same age when he was diagnosed, um, about eight or nine-ish. And he found out in a routine doctor's appointment, like went to a well visit and like, that's where they figured it out. Um, and he did this thing when he went to, went back to school where the kids got to like, um, check their blood sugars if they answered questions about diabetes. Right. And so it was just like a very different, like the teachers engaged the rest of the school in it and that sort of thing. And that just like, it's just a very different cultural mindset and like the teacher involved the kids and that sort of thing versus like, I don't think kids are innately wrong, like bad people, I guess. <laughs> yeah. My thing. Those are bad. I just want to say bully. Right? I, I'm just saying that I think all of us have memories where other kids were not very kind right. to us or like about our diabetes, because I feel like when you're different or it's something we talked about in the last episode, but people enjoy othering people. So it's like when you're just a little bit different, it's, you know, it's easy, but also I oh, want to say you that can point to those things, right? Right. Absolutely. And also like, I just want to say that for, for Syra and your story, 
I hear rep like repetitive types of stories from that type that community but I wonder if it's because the culture is so competitive like educationally or if like the structure of the school is like that like we're all in competition with ourselves to be the best kid at that school like because it's like that my husband tells me the stories of when they went to school in Pakistan his sisters were very like we got a best girl, best boy, like in Harry Potter, like that's a real thing in Pakistan. So I just, I wonder if the culture and the the education around it is part of that, you know, I don't know. Well, I think there's like a stigma. Um, I'm kind of jumping ahead to my diabetes story here, but um, I served in the Peace Corps and worked with the Diabetes Association in St. Kitts and that cultural stigma of like, there's something wrong with you mm. if you have diabetes is, was very real there too. So I don't think, like you said, it's it's not, it's not um, unique to Pakistan, it's not unique to the Middle East. Like it, it's in a lot of different cultural um, places, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I and I mean, it before, was- but it, it lives in a lot of different um, cultures, that, that stigma of like, you don't talk about anything that's wrong with you if you're not an able-bodied person. Like, Well, and here in the United States, like I think now we're, we maybe forget how far we've come in a short time. You know, the, the online community and sort of disabled online communities and visibility into communities like that because of social media and digital connectivity. I mean, it's great. I mean, 10, 12 years ago, the only diabetes exposure most people had in culture was like Wilford Brimley in the, in the TV ad, you know, and yeah. I, I think now, you know, we forget sometimes, especially those of us who are very plugged in to the community, like, like we are diabetics doing things is, oh yeah, you know, you don't have to go that far, even here in the United States to find people who are totally, you know, live with heavy stigma about any kind of disability, but diabetes, especially. And I think even 20 years ago, uh, there was significantly more and even a hundred years ago, 70 years ago, when you just died, you know, there's just so much, uh, we've come so far in such a long, a short amount of time. And to just assume that the rest of the world has kept pace with us here in the U S and other developed countries, I think is just an oversight. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, I, I talk about this a lot about like the experiences that I had growing up with it versus what I know my kids are growing up with. There's like this overwhelming gratitude for like people that do speak up about their experiences, right? Like growing up, I didn't have examples of people like Sonia Sotomayor that are just like, you know, sitting there doing really great things or any kind of example of like doing amazing things with diabetes because those people weren't around when I was a kid, right? Like my generation, the generation before me are the ones that are now doing those things. But as a kid, they didn't exist, or at least they weren't vocal about it because of that stigma. But now kids have those role models to look up to, even if it's just on social media, right? Like social media and just the internet in general allows people to connect and find people like them, which I think is really cool. Like the online diabetes community didn't exist ages yeah. ago because the internet didn't exist when I was diagnosed. So um, there's that. I remember children with diabetes when it first came out was like around you know, when I was diagnosed, it was like a thing. And I remember back when there was like dial up internet, that was like one of the things I would do. I was like, go on to their, now that I think about what their older uh, website looks like, I'm like, they've come so far. But even then the value that they added at that point of like that community, like they knew that even then. Um, and that has just kind of like, it's now on steroids, right? Like the ability to be able to connect with people that are in your very unique situation is pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, even children with diabetes, friends for life conference is going on this week or this weekend, yeah. you know, and they're, uh, people, you know, now that, uh, COVID restrictions are being, uh, kind of lifted here in the U S like people are gathering again. It's like the first, I guess, really the first in-person diabetes event kind of coming back after, after the pandemic, uh, yeah. where, which we got to talk about as well as like, it's only after the pandemic in certain parts of the United States, the rest of the world is very much still dealing with it. But, um, yeah, it's incredible to see how far, you know, children with diabetes as an organization has come and how many people have been connected to each other because of that. Yeah. Yeah, so the my favorite part of uh, the conference we went to last year was, um, not last year, whenever it was, time is so weird now. I Such a strange, like 2020, 2019 folding into each other. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah. I guess it's two years ago at this point, but wasn't so much like the sessions and stuff like that, but it was like the kids running around in the halls with their like robot parts together. And then like, being like, Hey, this is where my sensor is. And this is where this is. And there's just, it's really sweet for the kids to be like, oh my goodness, there's so many people like me who, who understand that stuff. And I was talking to another type one mom friend who is, and this is something I take for granted is the fact that my, I can relate to my kids in this. She's talking about how her kid um, told her that she wishes somebody in her family had diabetes like her so they could understand her. And another mom friend was talking about how she put a sensor on herself just so she could relate to her kid. And I was like, oh, I, don't, I take that for granted that my kids 
see that on me all the time and that they just they always feel that like okay somebody gets me um I remember the first time like this was in the first like the beginning of my husband and I talking and I had like a really bad low and he was like I I totally get it I know how you feel and I just screamed I was like no you don't and then I was like wait actually yeah yeah you do because I was so used to like yelling at my mom or something I'm I'm like mean when I'm low but um like yelling at her like no no you don't understand but then I was like oh wait actually you you do um so yeah just realizing I have that weird silver lining of having the thing that my kids have like being able to relate to them well and like I you know forgive the forgive the comparison like you guys are like the Incredibles like you guys are all just the Incredibles but diabetes because you and your husband and your kids all live with diabetes and like the normalization of diabetes and robo parts and sensors and blood sugars and low, you know, lows and highs and count carb counting. That's the reality for all of you that you deal with together. So I want to rewind a little bit and let's, let's talk about, you know, how you met your husband. Yeah, give us the love story. Yeah. I want, we, I want all is, the Titanic. <laughs> this is what we're here for. Okay. <laughs> he tells it way better than I do, but um, I was walking back into a meeting and I had like an old school mechanic pump. And so I was like bolusing for something and he was walking out. So I wasn't, I was looking up, I was like walking and, and pumping into my, uh, my, my pump. And he was like, Hey, nice insulin pump. I was living on an Island where I was trying to teach people about diabetes and why it was okay to talk about it. And so I was like, how do you know what it is? Cause like nobody on the Island, I thought I was the only one with the pump. And so he pulled his like matching pump out and it was like, that was it. We just basically never really left each other's sides since then. Love it. First pump. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. It was just sitting out there. I had to take it, you know, come on. That's so cool. It's so cute. It's like oh, story, storybookish. Where were you, Sarah? Because I know where you were, but I want you to tell everyone because it, it makes it even more storybookish. We were in St. Kitts and Nevis, well, St. Kitts specifically, because that's where I was serving in the Peace Corps. So we we're in the Peace Corps together. He wasn't in the Peace Corps. He likes to take credit and say that he was an honorary member, but he he was not. He was on island for work. So in my mind, you guys joined together at like different universities and then met there and <laughs> fell in love. And yeah, so that's just how it works in my brain. But I just think it's so cute how you came from like opposite worlds, opposite places, similar realities, though, and like found each other like, oh, my goodness. And we've had like some dating stories and like marriage stories about people with diabetes on the pod before, but like, what were those, you know, obviously like when you are dating someone who doesn't have diabetes, there's all these like introductory conversations and there's all these like sort of anxiety about sharing when you have, when you test your blood sugar, or do you go to the bathroom the first time you give an injection at dinner or whatever the case may be, or if you're like me, you just like unload all of that unnecessarily on the person in the first five minutes. But, um, what was that like for you guys? Like, obviously it started with the pumps. So you guys were just kind of like hit the ground running after that, huh? Pretty much. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to rope. Like I work on with the diabetes association here. Like they're going to help me. And he was like, okay. Um, so we like met up for coffee, like a few days later, maybe even the next day. And I remember having, I remember the day I met him, I like went home and uh, messaged my sister and I was like, I met this really cute guy and he has diabetes. And she was like, marry him. I was like, it doesn't really work that way, but it, it did. Um, shows you how much I care about what my older sister thinks because I went and did what she said. But um, yeah, we, I remember for some reason, I remember we talked about diabetic tattoos like pretty early on because it was like, it was just something he either he brought up or I brought up where it was like, oh, have you heard about these tattoos that you can like scan for your blood sugars, which obviously isn't a thing. But um, at that point it was something they were looking into. And I had sent him an email like, hey, here's, here's the article I read about it, right? Like he was basically my first, diabetic friend. Um, I had, I'd gone to camp and like been friends with people before That's a lie, second friend, but, um, like it was always, it always felt like it was a forced thing that my mom like wanted me to have a diabetic friend. And this time it was like, Oh, like it was just really different because I was actually working in the diabetes space and all sorts of things. But, um, yeah. Shout out, I, to, shout out to your mom though, because like having a friend with diabetes, as we, as we all know now, uh, hindsight 2020, but, having a friend with diabetes is such a huge life hack just to be able to have somebody to talk to. 
huge. Isn't it like yeah. a stat? Like, isn't it like 30? We said it before on the podcast, Rob. It's like 30% more like a chance of you betting, being a better diabetic because you have a person to talk to or you're part of a community or something like that. It's a real stat. I'll have to find it as a producer of this episode. I'll have to find it. I, but... I, can, it. <laughs> I can probably check the even show give notes. the stats on like how much our A1Cs have gone down since we met each other type of a thing. But, so that that's the, like, that's the stat that I use is you're like when you're involved in the diabetes online community or you read social media or blogs, you like you a hundred percent of the time have a better A1C outcome than people who don't like you're in, in the survey in the, in the research study that I always quote, but yeah, it's, it's uh having a life hack or it's, it's a major life hack, having a friend with diabetes in person, online, whatever works for you. That's it's so, so he married him. Yeah. Wife, <laughs> you know, if, you, if you run into someone with an, your same insulin pump on St. Kitts, you marry that person. That's, that's the, Apparently. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the major life hack. So you guys like you're having, you're, you get married, like you're dating, you get married, you're having this life together and you then have kids. And then we get into the, you know, and well, you before this, you okay, get wait. into the having kids, Sarah, do you mind if you sh- like share the story and we can edit this out if to share the story of like with going to the genealogist and all that? Cause I thought that was so yeah. interesting. Yeah. So actually going back to that conversation we had about uh, tattoos, we also, I also remember throwing out there like, Oh, cause we talked about diabetic birth dogs at that point and we happen to have one now, but um, I had thrown out like, yeah, I would only consider getting one if my kids ever got it. Like that was always something that we both like, had in the back of our head. So when we got married, you know, it's something we talked about from the very beginning. Like it's one of those deal breakers. You want kids or not, right? Like you talk about that before you have kids and, or before you get married. And so when we were like, all right, I think we're ready. We went to a genetic counselor to be like, Hey, what are, what are the odds? Not just because of diabetes, but we have like some pretty not so great genes on both sides, like cancer on both sides, all sorts of autoimmune issues, like a bunch of things. So we're like, we got, we should probably just figure it out before we bring more children into this world. Um, so we did. And the genetic counselor basically told us like, that's not how it works. Um, she basically told us we had nothing to worry about. Was like, you guys are crazy for being here. Don't worry about it. Like mm. not, a, not a thing to worry about. But then all the research that I read, from, like I think ADA or somebody else, there's like these research studies. I don't know who they recruited them. I'm really curious, but it had like all these stats on like, if you were a certain age when you were diagnosed and like certain age when you conceived all sorts of things, according to that, our chances were in the twenties, like 20% or something like that. So we're like, Hey, the odds are in our favor to, for our kids to not get it. Right. Um, so we went ahead and we had kids, but what I always like to tell people is that even if the genetic counselor told us there was like a hundred percent chance of our kids having diabetes, that was a conversation we had before even going to the genetic genetic counselor was like, what if that's what she tells us, right? Mm. Um, I'm a worst case scenario kind of person. So like going into everything, I'm like, what what if this is what happens? And he was like, so what? Our lives aren't that bad. Like we met each other because of it, all that kind of stuff. Like, so what if they do? It wouldn't stop us. And that was kind of the thinking we had. Cause we had also before even going to counseling been like, you know, if that is like the thing they tell us, if it's like 80% chance, whatever it is, right? Um, would we prefer to go through like adoption and that kind of thing? Right. Like that was something we had talked about and yeah, we were basically like, even if she tells us that our kids will get type one, not the worst thing in the world, like they'll survive. So they, they say like our greatest fears lie anticipation. Right. And so if you just go ahead, I'm a big believer in like setting the worst case scenario and just sitting with it for a second. Like if, you know, like you said, Hey, if there's a hundred percent chance, are we still going to do this? And if the answer is yes, then let's go. Yeah, pretty much. That's so cool. So that 20% chance or whatever, whoever, whatever percentage they threw out, it turned out to be a hundred basically because you got it. it, I mean, I think the chances were still whatever it was. Chances are still slim, but here we are. Yeah. We just have a bad relationship with statistics is what I tell people. Like, don't take us as a case study Um, is because I've had a lot of people ask uh, recently, like, oh, you know, how old were you? All all the, all the stuff. Cause they want to try and gauge what the, what the likelihood is of the same thing happening to them. And I'm like, don't, don't look at me as that case study. Cause you can always find the case study you want on Google, right? Like you can always look for the person, the answer that you want. Um, I'm, just that worst case, I'm just that worst case scenario, right? Like, don't look to me and assume that the same thing will happen to you. Like, also like neither one of my parents have diabetes. Diabetes is not run in my family at all. 0%. I'm the only person. I think same thing for you, Rob, right? Like it's, it's not genetic for, me, from, for my husband. Like we had no history yep. of it. Right. So like, um, really I know chances are supposed to go up when you have 
a history of it and whatever. But what I like to tell people is like, you could adopt a kid and the same thing could happen, right? Like you don't know who it's going to hit, what cards you're going to be dealt are not up to you, right? Like, I mean, there's some things that are just out of your control in general. Right. And I think, um, I don't know, it's, it's a hard thing. Like looking back, it's like nobody would wish diabetes on, on their worst enemy. You know, it's like, it's a very difficult burden to bear. And at the same time, you know, in, in the same breath, we can say, you know, are, are we still are living worthwhile lives and you know, we're, it's, it's not a, it's not something that we have to be defeated by every day, even though it is hard. And I think like, that's the thing that I struggle with too. Like I used to be kind of like brusque and like with people will be like, Oh, like, it's not so bad. You know, I can, it's, it's fine. Like I, I don't need extra attention or, or, or what have you. And, you know, while that was true for me, it's not true for everyone. And I, um, you know, I think those generalizations are very, you know, I just, I don't like to make them just because it's not, it really isn't the same for everyone. And, um, you know, whether they have like the physical tools or the socioeconomic tools to, or, or to deal with it, um, that's not my place to say. And I'm fortunate that I do have them and, and that I'm in a good place to do that. But, um, at the same time, like, you know, I wake up and uh, my feet hit the floor, my blood sugar goes up just like everybody else with diabetes. And, uh, and I know, you know, in the back of my mind, like, Hey, we're all dealing with that this morning. And that's just part of life with diabetes. And, um, you know, at least I know that there's people I can go to, you know, if I'm really having a hard time. I love that you guys had a plan before you guys even went to talk to the genetic counselor. Like, I love that there were so many conversations that were had, where both of you knew each other, like you knew yourself well enough to know, like, no matter what, like, I still want to do this. So it, it just really reminds me of even sort of like kind of my foundation of life, which is like, what's written for you is already written. Like, it's going, it's, it's going to happen. So like, whether you guys would have adopted or had your own babies, like you decided to, like, if it was meant for you to be the mom of a diabetic, like, that was your journey. Mm -hmm. And I, it's been really interesting in these last few weeks to be watching you on the internet, because I am so amazed by your candor just like how you carry yourself um in the pre in like in our pre-interview in our chill sesh this is exactly how cyber was like she's very calm cool collected see like you give me cucumber vibes all the time girl like i don't know what it is she's chill just so like whatever comes my way i got it so have you always been like that or um, uh my husband will probably be laughing if he listens to this so like he gets the i mean this is true for everybody right like your family gets the the worst side of you because you can be the most real with them ironically i was just complaining to him yesterday about how i feel like i get the worst side of my children because like mom is always that safe person right like they come home from school and they're like i mean they're not in school right now but just in general that's like the thing right where you get to like let loose and be angry with mom um and i think same thing goes with spouses right like for the most part you're like you said for better or for worse so here's my worst um <laughs> and you're like way different with people who can choose to not be around you right um so there's that everybody's got like a not as cool side so like everyone puts their best foot forward on social media that kind of thing so there's always that caveat um I always tell people I remember I went to a Disneyland meetup with type ones ages ago and my kids were having the worst meltdowns ever and I was laughing and I was like, you guys, this is the part you don't see on social media because I don't have enough hands to be like, hey, look, this is the reality of living with two kids, right? Like, I'm not going to show you guys my kids' meltdowns because that's messed up. Like, that's, um, who does that? But, um, yeah. Some people do, I think. Everybody's, I was going to say shade, maybe. Dude, I don't want to, well, I don't want to see my own kids' meltdowns. I don't want to see anybody else's. That's just me. <laughs> Fair, yeah. Keep that, keep that out of my feed. But, yeah. Um, point is, I definitely have my not so your moments. I got you. But with the diagnosis of your kids, I know when, when we, when you told me that story for your first baby, I think it was a little bit calm and cool and Colette, you are just calm and cool for those types of things sometimes. Well, it was a while ago. So she was diagnosed. So our older daughter was diagnosed when she was 10 months old. Um, I was not part of the community at that point. Like, I think the first mom I became friends with the type one was because of her diagnosis. So our we have the same endo. We still have the same endo. And he was like, Hey, another kid was just diagnosed like a month ago. You guys should talk like, cause he, he knew the power of community at that point as well. We both still see him. He's amazing. We love our endo. Um, and yeah, like we, we met up and like have basically still been friends ever since. And we've both been really big on like, even if our kids don't want to stay friends, we're going to stay friends. Um, but yeah, I was not part of the community cause it was like, just you know, I had, I had JC, I had my, I had my husband, I didn't need it because we lived it together every day. Right. Um, but 
even though obviously my husband is a parent of a child with type one, so you would think that he would relate on the same level as dads are just totally different. Like we're just very different people in how we handled her diagnosis and everything. Right. And in all honesty, I handled the first diagnosis differently and he handled that one differently and then vice versa with the second, right? Like he took one harder than I did and that sort of thing, right? Like each of us responded differently to each one. Um, so yeah, connecting with another type one mom was still really important to me. I remember the first time I took him to a type one meetup, this was before our second daughter was diagnosed. He was like, why are we going to hang out with a bunch of other type ones? And I was like, you don't understand. Like, it's really, it's really powerful. And he's like, I don't understand. We got enough of it at home. <laughs> um, and then we went and afterwards I was like, oh, okay, that was, that was cool. Um, and same thing when I made them all go to friends for life, I was like, trust me, this is really important. Forget doing it for you. It's really important for your kid, right? Like for her to be around other kids is really important. Um, and then when he saw her running around in the halls, like with other kids, like having a blast and just feeling really like we went to the pool and like everybody had like a sensor or something on. And she was just like, her eyes went, went wide, like just all of the things he was like, oh, wow. And then he connected with another dad there for the first time. I was like, okay, this was like, I'm glad I came kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know I just, why I went on that tangent. I imagine your kid like showing up to the pool and all of the Dexcoms and Libras and just like, I've come to my people. Like <laughs> here I, I have arrived. Like, <laughs> and this is, this is with her being at home with a bunch of people that get yeah. right. Um, ironically, our younger daughter, when she's, she's always been to like type nations and all, all the things, right. Like it was really normal for her, um, to see those things. We, after her diagnosis, we were like outside somewhere and this random guy like pulls up his sleeve. Her sensor was the only one that was showing. Like you couldn't tell that the rest of us had take one. And so he randomly like pulls his arm sleeve up to be like, Hey, little girl, I've got a Dexcom too. And she just looked at him like, so what? Like she was not impressed. And he was like, I don't understand. Like I thought I was going to make this big impact on this kid. And I was like, Oh, it's not you. She's just, we just all have it. Like, it's just no he really thought he did something. He was like, I'm about to make her day. We're about to have a moment. It's going to be for me and for her. And she really looked at him like, get your ass away from me, sir. I like, hope step away. You know, I, I, I hope that guy, I hope he didn't like, I hope he didn't like let that hit his confidence because you know, uh, like, and for me as well, like, cause I'm a grown ass man and I am huge, you know? So like a kid, I'm like, their first thought is like, why is this person so much bigger than my parents? And like, so I like this mom and like dad and their daughter were walking on the beach and I was walking with my mom and I saw her Omnipod and her Dexcom. And I was like, I need to go. Like I've made this commitment in my life. I need to like go say hello to this person so yeah. I like ran up and I did that and like the little girl was just like oh like so not about me talking to them but their parents meeting the parents was really nice and so uh yeah I don't know I, I I give that guy props for like stepping out of his comfort zone and like making that decision to go talk to your daughter and at the same time getting just viciously dunked on it's so hard I ended up talking to him and like it, it was fine I'm pretty sure his feelings weren't hurt um but yeah it was just oh funny goodness. to me to be like oh she just could not or less your diabetes is not special sir we have four <laughs> servings at home like no thanks <laughs> oh my goodness it's, um you talked about camp though and like uh, earlier that both i know both of you went to diabetes camp uh and you know just the impact that it can have to interact with other people who aren't your family and like really get outside and like enjoy yourself and like kind of have this breath of fresh air with diabetes and that was something that i missed out on early on but i got to see as like an adult now going to like speak at camps and be involved in camps. And that's the thing that it's like blows me away is like every day at dinner or lunch, like everybody sits down and they all go about their business and they all kind of like do their thing and it's super normal and nobody asks questions to each other about it. And they all just kind of go and if they share each other's low snacks, uh, we, we talked, uh, uh you probably know Kenny Rodenheiser, uh, a friend of the pod. Uh, we haven't had him on a podcast yet, but we'll get him there. Uh, but <laughs> we've he was, talked about him like 10 I times know. Now. I was like, I was like messaging him the other day. I was like, yo, we've been talking about you on the pod. We got to have you on. So we'll make that happen. But uh, he was the first person that shared like glow snacks with me. Like the first person with diabetes. I just remember like how, I don't know. I've been, people have given low snacks to me, like snacks, you know, of their own. But this is like a person with diabetes giving me their low snacks. And for some reason, my just dumb brain assigned like more meaning to that. And I was an adult at this point, and it just like I don't know, it just touched me in a way. I was like, "Wow, this is so nice." So I don't know. There's something Does about that mean you're friendship. With your snacks, Rob. I uh, know I will share. I will share them absolutely. Uh, it's not with I non-diabetics. I usually I don't have them. <laughs> I think it's the lesson <laughs> learned. Oh my gosh! So oh, at your house, Sarah, 
when Rob was talking about how everybody sits down at those conferences and eats at the same time and like does their diabetes things at your house, what do mealtimes look like, Syra? Like, what is that? <laughs> She's shaking her head. You guys can't see her. Um, it depends. It can be. Uh, this is where I'm like, oh, this is uh, makes me seem like I'm not calm and collected because there's times where we have family as a, we have dinner as a family, it's a dinner, dinner as a family. Um, and then there's other days where we're just like, you know what, we're just going to feed the kids first so we can sit down and eat properly. Um, my kids are four and six. So like our dinner is just as chaotic as if we didn't have type one, honestly, like sometimes we pre bolus really well. And other times we just like, oh shit, did you do it? No, I didn't. Oh, whoops. Like one of us should probably do it. Um, so yeah, it just really depends on the day and who did what. And more often than not, it looks like yelling across the kitchen like hey did you pre-bowl this what do you think we should do for this like that's a very normal thing in the house um I remember like a couple years ago just hearing my kids like in play referencing things like pre-bolus and insulin and stuff like that just in their play and I was like this is not normal but it's kind of cute but kind of sad at the same time like she was like oh she's going low mommy you should really give her something oh it's because I pre-bolus her too much like that was their play and I was like wow like this stuff really they're they really are sponges um well yeah. it's what they know right it's like that's their lived experience like that's yeah, it's normal yeah why wouldn't like, their toys have lows <laughs> exactly kind of a tangent but like I remember my kid ages ago when she was in swim uh lessons she had like her pod in her arm this one kid like pointed at her and I was like what's that and she was like it's my pod where's yours like she just thought it was such a normal thing she was like and then he started looking around on his body because the kid was like I don't know where is mine and I was like this is Kids don't start out being like me. Your kids are so secure. Your kids are like, like when they're that young, they're just like, not a big deal at all. And then as they get older, you start seeing them become more like self-conscious about it and that sort of thing. So yeah. I love that she shaded the other kid. She's like, where's yours? I love that he was like, oh no, where is mine? (laughs) Like, what am I missing? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. If they're playing with diabetes scenarios in play, like I think you're raising doctors or something or just future diabetics, whatever, but it's just so um, crazy. Like oh, she's low mommy. <laughs> it's intense. It's intense. Oh my gosh. For you, Syrah, and, and I'm sure, uh, you know, maybe your husband might have the same answer, might have a different answer. And I know you, you work in diabetes as well. It, how do you manage like diabetes around so much? Is that, have you, you it's like, you, yeah. So Okay. So one thing to keep in mind, I don't handle my day, my husband's diabetes for the most part. Like, yeah, I help. like, you know, when we're, when we're doing dinner and stuff, he'll be like, Hey, what do you think? How much, what did you bolus for this? That kind of thing. But that's not the same as having that responsibility over him. Right. Like, honestly, he has more of a responsibility at night because I'm like dead to the world at night. Whereas he's the one that like shoves a juice box in my mouth when I'm low. Um, so he, he handles nighttime. So that's one thing. Like I get to sleep. Cause I, I just, I hear the alarms all through the day. I don't hear them at night. Like it's just how it is. Whereas he's kind of the other way around. Like he doesn't really respond to them as much in the daytime, but then he'll, he's totally on at night. Um, also we have a village. So like my parents literally have the code to get into my garage if they ever needed to. And they have had to in the past. Um, they take my kids every now and then, like my kids just spent the night on like the day before yesterday. Um, my sister has my kids every now and then and takes care of them. And like, we have a pretty good system of like, because he's on at nights where he'll be like, Hey, I'm really dead tired tonight. I need you to be on. Right. Example. Like when he, he used to travel a lot for work, like pre COVID. And so when he was not at home, I was up with the alarms all the time. But when he's home, I'm like, won't wake up, won't hear the alarms, that sort of thing. Um, and I guess kind of going back a couple of years, it was really hard pre um, my younger daughter's diagnosis. I had noticed where there was days where my blood sugars were all in range, but hers wouldn't, wouldn't be and vice versa. It was like, I only had enough bandwidth to do good with one of us. And that was when I switched to using loop because I was like, I need something to reduce the burden. Cause this was pre aid systems really being a thing. Right. Um, she was still, she has just started, I think it was it was pretty soon after she had started on pods or something like that. And um, yeah, nothing was automated. So there's that. And then now all of us are either looping or on control IQ or some kind of aid system. And I think that's something that's really, I mean, I think it is talked about, maybe not enough, like the cognitive burden of having type one is like a huge thing, right? Like, and that's another thing that was really different when we were kids is pre-CGMs, you couldn't respond to something every five minutes, right? Like you didn't know what your numbers were and there's only so much you could do. 
So, um, but now it's like, oh, you have a number that you need to respond to or do something about all the time. And so it's like a, a blessing and a burden, right? To like have the ability to do something. And obviously long-term, that's a good thing. But like from a cognitive load perspective, it's a, it's a lot. Um, so there have been times where I have taken a break from loop and been like, I'm just gonna go back to pens because I can't handle all the data. I can't do that much. And that's actually why I switched to control IQ for a little bit right now because it's less than I can do, right? I can't edit cards. There's certain things that you can't do at Control IQ that you can't loop. And that's part of why I did it because I needed a little less data to be able to control. And some more constraints to keep you just to relieve your brain. Yeah, essentially. I, I heard this, I got, I was very fortunate to be in the room for a presentation from Dr. Fran Kaufman, who used to be chief medical officer at Medtronic for a number, number of years and is chief medical officer at Sensionics, I think as well after that. But she legendary diabetes educator and endocrinologist. And she was talking about like the climb of like diabetes technology. Like we started to like go up this, like more technology, more technology. And she's like, now we're sort of in this, like coming across the peak of relieving burden. So it's like, how, how does technology, like we're so focused on this and this and this, and now we're like coming down this other side of the hill where it's more automated, there's better technology. And that is like allowing that burden to be released at times. It sounds like that for you guys at the at the house, like for the various members of the family with diabetes, like that that has certainly been felt in the last few years for you guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I look at just the early first six months, their first year of our older daughter's diagnosis, I remember that was pre me putting on her, her on a sensor, even though I had been on a sensor, I wasn't ready to put her on one because she was tiny. Like I said, she was 10 months old. Um, and I think part of me didn't want to see it on her. And she was okay with finger pokes, right? So it was like, okay. But, and I was still nursing her, right? So I have this clear memory of like staying at my parents when my husband was traveling and like staying up all night, nursing her the whole night because she was low, like literally finger poke every 20 minutes or so, like just feeding her the whole time because it was like, and that that's what that burden looked like at that point, right? Like, or, I mean, you're tired as a mom, new mom as it is, but like that was a whole nother level of stress. Um, so there's, there's that whole, th that period was really different than what it is right now, where it's like, and part of that is age, like diabetes is really different as a 10 month old versus as a fully grown man. My husband was like, you know, you were speaking to like your diabetes may vary concept, like physiologically it's, it's hugely different in so many different people, even if you're like the same age and all sorts of things, the way your body responds to things, or it's going to be really different. Um, and I think that was something I realized when you know, just getting married to my husband, we would eat the exact same thing. And it was like, why are our bodies responding so differently? I pre I did all the things you did, right? But it was just way different with me, right? And there's a theory that like, if you were diagnosed with DK, you have a different version of diabetes kind of a thing, right? right. Like, I kind of see that between me and him. Um, still trying to figure out, we'll see you with my two kids because one had DK and one didn't, so. Yeah, I, I remember- <laughs> And I am a known, and I've said it multiple times in this podcast, a notable idiot about science. So I remember being, I went to the Barbara Davis Center uh, in 2019, uh, which doesn't seem that long ago, but wow, it was. Um, and they were share, sharing with me some of the research that they've done, like preventing DKA in diagnoses for kids. Who, and they tested like a large population of kids for the antibodies for type one. And they were able to like prevent DKA in like 12 or 15 patients as they, uh, over the next few years, which was really incredible prevention research, but also they were talking about the like damage to the islet cells. Like they're able to capture some of them or, 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 you know, in scapulation, whatever the, like, whatever the, uh, scientific terms are from that, like that you, you know, DKA does a lot more damage to, you know, especially at the very beginning of your life with diabetes, than if you don't go into DKA, DKA sucks basically. Pretty much. DKA. Nobody wants to. Can I have What's a t-shirt? <laughs> yeah. DKA sucks. Yeah. Like don't, that's it. It really does. Um, man, I also, I want to just talk a, a little bit about like, we, we were talking about mental burden and like being a mom with diabetes of a, of a young, young, young person with diabetes, like treating a low, like nursing to treat a low and just like, I don't know if you heard Eritrea and I just go completely quiet and both just I almost uh, cried. Yeah. I, I literally like, like my eyes welled up with tears. Like I can only imagine you in the dark. Like I have friends who are new moms and some of them are type one. And I can only imagine my best friend like holding her infant, trying to nurse him back from being like low. Like, can you imagine, Rob? Like 
no juice. Like you can only no get juice, the milk no gummy from bears, your boob. You know. From your boob, my guy. Like, what is this? And like, are you pounding sugar to like try to get to metabolize it through? Like, how does that? Uh, I guess I just think about my friends and I'm just thinking about you. And it's like, how, like, how did you do that? Like I said, I am lucky enough that I have a village. Most people do not have that. I acknowledge like how extremely privileged I am in so many different ways. But like there were enough times where my mom was like holding a juice box while I was, because you, I would, I would always go low when I was nursing, like lots of candy in the bedside next to me. But there were enough times where my mom was like feeding me while I was feeding, feeding my kid, like. Oh it gosh. doesn't, it doesn't end. <laughs> yeah. It's like super mom on another level. Like I've always thought that type one moms were amazing, but hearing this, like I'm low, my kid is low and my mom is here helping me because like T1D moms don't stop. Like is yeah. don't it stop. It doesn't end no matter how old you're. My dad still texts me when I'm low to be like, Hey, everything. Okay. Kind of a thing. Um, I, I think for my mom, it's like a whole different thing. She was there when my daughter was diagnosed. Like it was like, that same trauma for her where it was like this literally like I went through with my this with my kid and now it's now it's my granddaughter type of thing um you know she loves a lot of people with type one and I think it's like a whole different unique experience for her and just for my whole family right like you love your kids differently than you love your grandkids right and I think it must, it's way harder for her to have to like do all of the things for my daughter than it was for her to do it for me like it's just it's a really different experience I don't know if you guys have had any grandparents on the not yet. We might have to. Have we? Had, we've had, uh, I had a, um, a, a, I'll say a young man who had lived with diabetes for 65 years and we had him on the pod. Uh, but, and so he had grandkids, but um, he, you know, obviously was, was the only diabetic among um, in, the, in the bunch. So um, I want to meet someone now who's a grandpa or grandma with type one, who has a grandkid with type one, or even a grandma, grandpa who doesn't have type one with one. Cause that would be, wow. I'd never even what thought I about how like that relationship. And hearing pre our daughter or younger daughter's diagnosis is a sibling's perspective. Cause that's like a whole different mm. ball game, right? Like I used to worry about our younger daughter a lot because I was like, I can understand what my older daughter is going through because she has type one. I don't know what it's like to be the sibling who doesn't have it. At least that's what I was hoping I was going to worry about. Don't have to worry about that anymore. But um, like, I think a lot of people probably would care about that. That's a whole different. Wow. Uh, I know Dana Howe, uh, who formerly of Beyond Type One, her her dad uh, her and her grandpa, maybe great grandpa, grandpa, and then it skipped her dad and it's to her. Anyway, she, there's some there's some genealogy there in the family. I'll have to reach out to her and see if she'd be willing to come back on the pod and talk about it. Yeah, we, we were gonna have to do all kinds of additional family pods. I mean, I just, I guess I never thought about how those relationships as a family anyway, mother daughter relationship is so special, right? And that father daughter relationship, all of those relationships are so special. And I just never really thought about how diabetes could add another layer. And then seeing how you interact in your unit uh, with your kiddos and your husband is just so like, it's mind blowing to me. Um, and I just feel like I'm learning a lot. <laughs> Yeah. And I think like with that, like, as we kind of like start to wrap up like this, the interview side of things, like what, what would you say to new type one parents out there or parent or people who are, you know, looking to start a family with, you know, as, as people with diabetes, what, any advice that you would give? That, what would you say to me and Rob? <laughs> yeah. What would you say to us? You know what I mean? I'm Try to try to convince my wife that it's time to have babies. I want I wanted some kids. Oh my god! Oh, dude, I, I can't wait to see Rob as a dad. Oh. This would be great. So please give us all the advice. Uh, I guess it's two different things for anybody that's like new to diabetes. Like it's I, it's not always going to feel this hard, right? Like the metaphor of like it's a marathon type of thing, right? Like you don't start out running a marathon. You like you start small and like eventually you get better at it kind of a thing. It's not that the race ever gets shorter. It's just, you become a lot better at it, right? Like diabetes is always going to be, you know, as hard as it is and whatever, but in the beginning, you can imagine it's like insanely overwhelming when you don't know what carb ratios are and just all of the things, right? Like we use a lot of different acronyms, whether it's like MDI or aid systems or whatever it is, right? Like all of those just become ingrained in, in you later. And it doesn't feel as hard. Not that you'll figure all of it out, but you'll figure out what's important to you, right? Like, I think that's, especially in today's like social media age where you see people doing something right and it feels like they have it all put together but there's also all the things they're not doing that you don't see so I think that's really important right like you'll figure out what works for you guys and for your family and that sort of thing um and then 
for people that are looking to have kids, same thing that I kind of said in the beginning, like if you would do it, even if your kids did get it, um, knowing that no matter what, like, I, I think this is where my faith comes in, like the cards you're going to be dealt are going to be dealt, right? Like you can try, you can say you don't want to have kids and let's say your birth control doesn't work because haha, just kidding. That's what was meant to happen for you. Like, um, yeah, I guess there's that, that kind of advice sort of, um, also I don't feel like my life is any less full, um, having diabetes or even with my children having diabetes, having, I will say though, that, um, my kids having diabetes is way harder than me having it like bajillion times harder. Um, you know, you love your kids more than you love yourself. You take care of them more in a different way than you do for yourself. So it's a different kind of hardship. Like having people you love with diabetes is very different than having it yourself. Um, mm. But yeah. I don't know if that's helpful or not. No, I man, you couldn't have put. It, I couldn't have put it better. That was that hit different. I just I love you, Sarah. You're so sweet. Thank you so much for sharing so much with me. You're a blessing. Thank you. Yeah, really. I and, and thank you for being so open and vulnerable. And I don't know, just. God, this is, this is great. You're cool as a cucumber, just like Eritrea said, like uh, talking about like really complex, like difficult stuff. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. And your takeover was awesome. And I think just like seeing, you know, we talked about like having access to people on social media and like the impact that that can have, but seeing somebody handle a very difficult deck of cards with, with such grace. And you mentioned like the help that you have and it takes a village. And I believe that, but also, uh, you know, the, the grace at which you and your husband handle all the challenges in your life is, is clear. And thank impressive. you. Impressive. So, so impressive. Yeah. Well, thank you. You guys don't see the days where like, I mean, there's still days where we are like, this really sucks and this is hard and all of those things. Right. Like there's some days, I think I saw this year or try before the takeover where like, there's some days where diabetes is just in the background and like, you know, there's a day where there's no site changes and there's no, you know, you figure out all the bulletins and all the things, right. Or even if something, something happens, you've, you've dealt with it enough where it's not a huge deal. Right. And then there's days where like, it feels insanely hard. All of it's awful. You're just like beyond over it, all that kind of stuff. And that happens to everybody, whether or not, you know, you've been at it for years. It's like diabetes doesn't discriminate and there's awful days. And then there's like, whatever days. Um, I, uh, I had four, sites like go occluded in like a week and i when the last one happened like i almost i had my pump in my hand just for like a just like a little split second i thought like what if i just huck this out the window (laughs) just like it was just like i i felt like that was like you know i'm not not quite at i'm not quite there yet i put it back in my pocket but man diabetes sometimes it literally happened to me this past weekend i on my trip i had four occluded pump sites i had to send out like three SOSs to like my people of color with diabetes group, my like PO, my positive on glucose group. Like I sent out so many messages, like who lives in Vegas guys? Cause your girl finna die. Like it's going to be a wrap. Yeah. Diabetes is so frustrating. And then for it just to clear itself up, right. When you're right. When you're just like, you're about to drive to the hospital going down, like it's so, diabetes, you rotten, you rotten hoe, but you know what? We gonna fight one day, one day. Yeah, you're going to get yours <laughs> diabetes. One of these days. Get yours. I've written my share of dear diabetes. I hate you letters. <laughs> all yeah, the time. Everyone has those. Um, not all peaches and roses. So yeah. It's not. Well, Syra, thank you so much for coming on the show today uh, and for being a part of this community and for you know being who you are above all. So thanks so much for coming on the show. 